Content, information, and opinions expressed during the related show are those of the show personalities and guest alone, and not those of Vic Canellis Media Group, its parent, affiliates, or stations. VCMG Live is not responsible for any content, information, or opinions expressed. User bears full responsibility for their reliance on such content, information, or opinions. Here we go, Monday night time once again for Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Here we go, Ira. You're in studio, live, and maybe it's because you didn't get out of town. You, you said you had maybe had some plans, but nothing uh, nothing came to fruition? Well, I was going to go to the Las Vegas race, the Formula One race in Vegas, but that all fell through. But we're going to talk about it. I have strong, strong opinions. I wish I was there, but it was anyone who went on Thursday. How about they saw eight minutes of racing, uh, sat in the stands for hours and hours, and no, they got a $200 gift certificate. And considering <laughs> that the hats are $100 and the T-shirt's $150, you got to sit, go and spend all that money for a hat. And a t- or a T-shirt. Absolutely crazy. And I wasn't aware of this at all, but we were speaking last week, and you said these are like Super Bowl ticket prices to go to this. Super Bowl ticket pricing, and the fact is that the Formula One wants to push themselves that the whole world country, and I, I have not met a person who watched it on TV. I've asked like 100 people, no one's watched it. I stayed up till 2.30 and watched the racing. I love watching it, of course, but I couldn't believe how I just, it's, and then you read everything out of Vegas, and they're like, oh, this was great, super success, 320,000 people went there. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I, I haven't seen one picture of the stands. Like I don't know who was at this event. And they just showed a picture. The only thing I've seen is that Paris Hilton went to a party afterwards, and she walked in, and the party was empty. So even the party, the, the party, when Paris Hilton walks into a party, there's not a person there. It's crazy. So uh, Andrew Catalan's going to join us around 7:30. Andrew is fantastic. We've had him on uh, quite a few times, and we look forward to that. Yes, yeah, CBS Sports announcer. He was broadcasting the uh, Rams game against Seahawks yesterday. I had my sound on so I could see, and he has a three-man booth. He has Matt Ryan and Tiki Barber in the booth with him this year and uh, it was pretty cool so I said he's one of the I guess the top CBS one of the, you know does the top three or third or fourth game of the week for CBS and and remember as a sports announcer he does play by play he's there and he talks to the coaches and the quarterbacks for every game so his insight is better than anybody else's insight yeah, and it's very weird hearing him on an NFC West matchup I mean he's usually on AFC games so it's I don't think he's ever been on two NFC teams before. I think there was something we'll have to ask him what happened yeah it's interesting how that uh, turned out I run sports all across social media you can find I you can live vicariously through him. Let's start off with uh, NCAA football here, Ira. Set, where are we right now? Because the season's just about over, and we're both depressed about it. Well, there's only this is the last time this happens. Next year, there'll be 12 teams. This year, they're going to have just four. So, think of the playoffs in the NFL go, and they have like almost everybody gets in. It's almost going to feel like that next year forward. But there's only there's that said eight teams left. There's two weeks to go. Um, there's going to be rivalry week this weekend, and then there's going to be the conference championship games the weeks after. And that's what it is. There's five undefeated teams: Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Georgia, and Washington. Three teams with one loss: Texas, Bama, and Oregon. Louisville has one loss, but we're not going to count them. And uh, <laughs> you're going to see what happens. It's been amazing. I'm waiting for these big upsets. We have not the last couple weeks have had the upsets. No, no upsets this week. It's crazy uh, from this top. These teams are going up. But they're, two of them play each other, so someone's going to lose this week. Let's uh, start it off in the SEC with Georgia taking on Tennessee. Wow. You know, this is a game where Tennessee last year, I was at the game in Athens when Tennessee was, was number a great one. Game. Hendon Hooker was the quarterback. Everything was great. And that's when Georgia just the dominance. I love going to that game. This year was at Tennessee. 
Georgia only favored by nine, but they just blew them out. The first play of the game, Tennessee ran a 75-yard touchdown, and they did nothing the rest of the game. This is 27-10 at halftime. Carson Beck, each game looks better. At quarterback for Georgia, it was 24 for 30, almost 300 yards, three touchdowns. Um, totally domination of Tennessee, 27-13 uh, on first downs. They converted almost every third down that they had. Um, now Tennessee has had back-to-back weeks. You know, it's like last year, too, but they had an excuse that Hooker got injured. They got blown out by Missouri. Now they get blown out by Georgia. Uh, there was a lot of games that weren't too competitive. <laughs> well, it, this is the the, AC, the SEC loves to have to play the FCS schools. This is like their break. Like the Big Ten does at the beginning of the season, they have one week. So like Alabama beat Chattanooga 6-10. LSU beats Georgia State 56-14. And one of the criticisms of that is they they were up by 40 points, and Jalen Daniels, their Heisman Trophy candidate, was was still in the game and late in the late in the fourth quarter, which was ridiculous. Ole Miss wins, Texas A&M wins, Arkansas beats Florida International 44-20. But the big upset, and I'm like, and I didn't turn this on until like the middle of the third quarter was Auburn, who was a 26-point favorite, lost to New Mexico State 31-10. New Mexico State, this is Auburn. There's 88,000 fans in the game. They're 6-5. New Mexico State was 0-27 against SEC schools. 0-27. And, and they just, it wasn't just this crazy where they're lucky. They outgained Auburn 414 yards to 213. It was a disaster. Auburn 6-5 on the year. They have to play uh, Alabama in the Iron Bowl next year, next week. But what a horrendous Horrendous, horrendous loss for Hugh Freeze not to get his team motivated and to get blown out by New Mexico State. Florida took on Missouri, and this one was uh, pretty wild. Oh, what a game. Uh, eight lead changes, crazy back and forth. Missouri on a 70-yard pass was at 30-21, to 21, and then Graham Mertz, who's the quarterback for Florida, he t- he dislocated his collarbone on a handoff. He turned, and the running back, his own running back, crashed into him, dislocating where he grabbed the ball and like Mertz didn't want to give the ball. Something happened where it just like you could see it like his neck and it just messed up. He's, then he was out for the rest of the game. Max Brown, their freshman, came in, led them for a touchdown, then a field goal, and they were up. Florida was up 31, 30 to 28, and then a 31 to 30. And then Missouri comes down and they call him the uh, uh, hefty kicker, Harrison Nevis, <laughs> who is definitely hefty. And he came in and kicked a field goal to win the game 33 31 at the end, which he's done a number of times this year for Missouri, but a big win for them. But Florida, it's they're five and six now. They need that one win. So they, it creates this added excitement for the Florida-Florida State game, where the fact that Florida's going to have a backup uh, quarterback, Florida State, as we're going to talk about, Jordan Travis is going to have a backup quarterback, and Florida needs that game to win in order to go to be bowl eligible. They only have five wins, you need six to be in playing the goals. Yeah, moving to the ACC, you brought up Florida State. Let's talk about them playing North Alabama, but the story of this game isn't the final score. It's, it's losing uh, quarterback Jordan Travis. Yeah, just as when the Auburn situation was going on, Florida State was down 13-0 to, to North Alabama, and this was, there's not even a line on this game. It was like maybe 60 or 70 points. North Alabama was 3-8. and eight. They don't even play. But Jordan Travis scrambles, gets injured, his ankle. They're not saying what it was, but clearly either broke the ankle or something with it, tore ligaments of the ankle. He's out for the rest of the year. And then Tate Rodemaker came in the game. But the fact is, Travis is someone who a lot of people had for a Heisman Trophy candidate. This was his sixth year at Florida State. Um, he really is someone who has been, I mean, this year is 20 touchdowns, two interceptions. Last year is 24 touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, really just become the face of the program at Florida State. A tremendous career. It's terrible to see how it ended. Uh, but it was, they ended up winning the game of course 58-13. But the problem is that now they have two more games without Jordan Travis. Yeah, and local kid too, by the way, went to Benjamin. So, you know, we wish him uh, the best in his speedy recovery. North Carolina taking on Clemson. What happened here? Well, this is all about Drake May. Now, everyone's talking about Drake May being the number two pick of the draft. And I think that North Carolina and Mac Brown and USC and Lincoln Riley should get like if there's like malpractice for coaching, it's like someone, <laughs> Drake 
Drake Bay was thinking about transferring before the year started. And they're like, you know, I'm going to go back to North Carolina. And I'm going to be so great. And what I'm criticizing him because I don't think he played well, too. But everything about them is a mess. And this is Clemson. This is a Clemson team that they were 4-4. Four and four And Debo, uh, Dabo Sweeney's on the radio. And this guy Trevor calls up and says, you're not worth your money. And you're overrated. And all this other stuff. And that motivated the team because they end up beating Notre Dame. And then they, and they beat Georgia Tech. And now UNC. And they play North Carolina. But this was a weird game because Clemson had the Clemson was uh, you know was had the lead and Carolina fumbled and uh, was able to make it like 21-14 and then Will Shipley had this big run to to lead them to win. Kate Klubnick had probably the best game of the year, but it's just like in the end when Carolina had their chance with Drake May, he just could not complete the passes they needed to win this game. They ended up with the score was 31-20, but it was like very disappointed that uh, that North Carolina with three losses because again at one point in the season they were like going strong, they were going to play Florida State for the ACC title, and then they lose to UVA, then they lose to Georgia Tech, and they barely beat Duke, and now this game. So it's a You think mess. Drake May's uh, draft stock is, is falling? I mean, especially because we've seen the emergence of, you know, guys like Bo Nix, who is probably going to be a third-round pick, might be a first-round pick now. I don't know if it's a short thing that, that he goes to, like we've been saying, goal, you know, before the season even started. As someone who watches all the, I haven't been impressed the whole year with him. So I think that the thing is, you know, but this happened to Sam Howe, because two years ago, many years ago, Sam Howe was, this, was great for North Carolina. He came back, and his uh, junior year, I guess, for it was terrible. It just sort of like Drake Man. I wouldn't call it as bad as this. You know, same how it was terrible that year. And then his draft stock went down to third or fourth round. Yeah. Now he's the quarterback for the Washington Commanders. So I mean, Matt Brown is the is quarterback, the, uh, quarterback killer. killer here. <laughs> Without a whisper, he's the killer for these great quarterbacks. Uh, Louisville taking on Miami, and Miami's bad season rolls on. Oh, you know. This is a mess. Miami now is six and five. I mean, there was one point that you felt like Miami was just this great year. They were going to be amazing, and uh, they were undefeated. And everything has just fallen. You know, they they had the Georgia Tech disaster, then they lost to North Carolina. They beat Clemson, Virginia, but then they lost to NC State, Florida State, and now they lost to Louisville. So they end up losing to Louisville, 38-31. And it was 31-31, and Louisville scores this pass where they threw the ball, and I'm like, what happened? Like it looks like offensive pass interference. The two Miami defenders crashed into each other, just literally crashed into each other, leaving the Louisville player wide open and just for the time, I mean, it's like out of a Little League play that happened. And then the Miami did have their chance to come. It was so back and forth, back and forth. And then Miami was complaining, so they got unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which is not a surprise for Miami what they do. <laughs> but the end of the game is uh, Tyler Van Dyke had the ball on the 50-yard line, throws this Hail Mary, and you see these Hail Marys all the time. But their, his wide receiver, uh, is Xavier Restropo, caught the ball at the five, like it was tipped up, and then he caught the ball on the five yard line, and then tried to lean in, where they would have won, you know, would have won the game on that, or tie, at least it would have tied the game yeah. at the time. And uh, he didn't get in; he fell, you know, fell short by a couple yards. But he, but Van Dyke would have been closer if they would have had the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which is a better shot to do it. But a terrible loss for Miami. I mean, every loss, Miami just continually finds out ways to lose. I mean, the Georgia Tech loss was terrible when the game was over; they should be shaking hands, and they run a play and fumble the ball. So <laughs> nothing could be worse than that. But this has been a terrible year for Miami. This is Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira at Ira on Sports. Andrew Catalan from CBS joins us at 7.30. Going to the Big Ten. Ohio State does what they do. Steamrolled Minnesota. Well, you know, they did not. They were not. Minnesota's, you know, a fairly good team. I mean, they, this is a bad year for them. They're 5-6. and six, But Ohio State won 37-3. At halftime, it was just 13-0. But then Cal McCord, Trayvon Henderson, Dupu, Harrison, they all start playing great and just destroy Minnesota. But again, they're not looking forward. They were not looking past Minnesota in order to 
before they played Michigan. Yep, Michigan was taken on Maryland, and this is one without Harbaugh, and it was a little closer than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing with the, the Harbaugh thing was now Michigan uh, has accepted their three-game suspension. I have said this is ridiculous. I, the, the whole thing is 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 nuts in terms of how this Chris, – uh, Chris, it came out that Chris Partledge, the linebackers coach, knew the he was trying – he didn't know what was going on, but he supposedly covered it up, so he had to resign. Michigan is not going to challenge it in the court. Uh, they're not going to do anything with that. One of the other comments I was thinking about is that they're saying it's a lack of institutional control. But um, the fact is that Iowa State and Iowa, Kirk DeFrance is you know, viewed as this great. He had a half a dozen of his players were involved in a betting scheme. So they were betting on, on uh, not an Iowa football, but Iowa events that you're not allowed to do at all. Mm-hmm. And not, no, no suspension, no penalty. He says no control over that. And Iowa State, uh, Campbell, their coach who's well thought of, he had, I think, like eight or nine of his players, including his quarterback that was coming back, all involved in these betting scandals. And Iowa, they were in charge, not just into, with the school, but actually criminally charged. Nothing. Nothing happens to them. Sign stealing. I just, I still cannot understand what the Big Ten did. I just think that it was a situation where I don't think any other conference would have done what they did. And I just, I was just, uh, the commissioner just rolled over and let the other teams to say, oh, this is so terrible. And now the NCAA is supposed to keep investigating it. But I don't know. I think it's not much to do with nothing. But of the game, it was crazy. Michigan was leading 23 to 3 in the middle of the first. Maryland scored, make it 23 10. Michigan was about to score another touchdown to make it 30 to 10. And JJ McCarthy threw this terrible interception in the end zone with a wide receiver. He had two people wide open. I don't know why he was throwing to the Maryland player. It was just crazy. And then the Maryland opens the second half with a touchdown, made it 23-17. And this is where they started trading points and everything. And it was crazy where Maryland twice had the ball with a chance potentially to win the game, which would have been shocking for a game that should have been way over. Um, one of the Michigan players, Roman Wilson, their star wide receiver, got injured. They said he'll be healthy for the game. And they got lucky because Mason Graham, who's one of the star defenders, got a targeting penalty in the second half, which, oh my, he's going to be then out for the Michigan game, at least the first half of the next game, and the uh, referees took out away the targets. So they got sort of lucky. They looked like they're healthy. They're going into the big game against Ohio State. Your uh, Penn State and the Lions took on Rutgers. Well, they're great. I mean, they, anybody but Michigan Ohio State, they win. <laughs> as long as you're not a top 25 team, Penn State can do a great job. I think Penn State, I'm going to compare them to Tennessee a little bit, because they both have like 110,000 fans, go to the games, great fan base, great support, and their inability to win these big games. Now, Tennessee did beat Alabama last year, so I'll give them credit on that. But their inability to win these games is just something. And they're, you know, Penn State's happy being 12th in the country. But this next year, Penn State's going to be in the playoff. This is why it's unfair. As I'm a Penn State fan, Penn State does not deserve to be in the college football playoff. Next year, they will be in the college football playoff. Yeah, it's definitely watering down and diluting the, the talent pool there. Um, Iowa played Illinois, and this one was uh, pretty close. Well, the only reason I, I mentioned is that Iowa now gets to play the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game in the Big Ten Championship game. So Iowa, which is, you know, Penn State blew out Iowa 31 nothing. So no one's. So people are saying whoever wins Ohio State, Michigan is going to be at least like a twenty-five to thirty-point favorite over Iowa when they play. So moving on to the Big Twelve, we had Texas facing off with Iowa State. I keep talking about Texas because they're a team of waiting to lose. I mean, they have one loss. They lost Oklahoma, and this game was close, three nothing. Iowa State after one, um, it was six three in the first half, and then it was thirteen three. And it's like Iowa State hung in the game, and then they scored a touchdown, make it thirteen, going to be thirteen ten. They kick an extra point, and you never see this in a game. But Texas blocked the extra point, and then. Ran it in for a 
two-point on the other side, so it's like a three-point switch of a play. And uh, Texas was up 23-9. And then Iowa State came back, scored a touchdown, and still had, had a chance to tie. Um, but this was their first 10-win season for Texas since 2009. They to be Texas Tech next week, and then the Big 12 championship game. And then they they, they have a good chance, I mean, how things break out in terms of they're one of the, the only Big 12 team is Oklahoma's two losses, the only Big 12 team with that one loss that gives them a chance. And they have the win against Alabama when you get to the college football playoff. In the uh, Pac-12, man, it sure has been a fall from grace for Colorado, hasn't it? Unbelievable. I, Friday night, I stay up till 12.30, and it, this was, you, well, now to watch Colorado, you have to stay up too late, because they were losing 42-7 to at the end of the first half. It was a disaster. San, Shadur Sanders was knocked out of the game for injury. Uh, Travis Hunter, who's their star player who plays offense and defense, was getting burnt by Washington State on the defensive side both ways, but the final score was, I mean, 56-14, but it was just, uh, that Washington, just how bad this game was. Washington State had two scoop and scores, that means where Colorado fumbles the ball, they pick and run it, for uh, 48 yards and 78 yards, and the Colorado players didn't even chase down the Washington State player. Like, they were just caught, and, and Dion looked terrible. I mean, he looked so sad. He's like the worst he's ever felt in his life. It was cold. It was in Washington State, everything. And uh, Colorado has now allowed 54 sacks on the year, the most of any team in the country. Washington and uh, Oregon State faced off, and this was one of the most, um, one of the better matchups of the weekend people were looking forward well, to. Well, Washington's undefeated. Oregon State played great. Oregon State is the last 17 games is 16 and 1 at home. Now, remember, Washington, Oregon State and Washington State are the only two teams they just won a court victory that says that they are now the Pac 12. So it's the Pac 2 they have. Because <laughs> the, all these teams that left, it's like you leave a group and they said, well, you still want to be the group. No, you left the group. All these teams like Washington, Oregon go to the Big Ten and Utah goes to the Big 12. They said, we still want to be the Pac. They're like, no, no, you leave the court set. You leave the group. You're out of the group. These are the only two people left in the group. I feel bad at Oregon State and Washington State. But uh, it was it was one of those. The weird thing was that Ohio, the, the, Ohio, uh, the um, Oregon State, I mean, Washington got a safety that made it 9-7. And there was 16-7, the 22-10 at the end of the first half. It was like a tell two halves. The first half, it was raining and pouring. And Washington, which throws the balls, you think would have trouble with that. Oregon State was going to more of a running team. But then when it stopped raining, Oregon State started playing great. They had the second half. This Damian Martinez, he was tremendous. He ran for 100, almost 150 yards in the game. But they had this one drive, 16 plays, 80 yards. It lasted 10 minutes. They made it converted fourth and ones and fourth and ones, made it 22-17. And then Washington went three down to punt it. And then State another drive and made it 80, 20, you know, 22-20. And I loved how the announcer goes, Oregon State's chipping the Beavers. They were chipping away. <laughs> so And then Washington punted. Then Oregon State had a drive, and they had a chance, and uh, and they were they weren't able to uh, to get to score, and they ended up losing losing the game twenty two twenty. But it was it was what a, what Damian Martinez, the running back for Oregon State, was phenomenal, and Michael Penix Jr., who everyone thinks is going to be this Heisman Trophy winner, and I thought he's played great. As I said earlier in the year, I felt he was. I think Bo Nix is gone past him, was 13 for 28, 162 yards and two touchdowns. Did not have a good game at all, but I really think it's going to come down to that game they're going to play in the in the conference championship game for the Pac-12. The winner of that game, I think, is going to win the Heisman Trophy. Yep, Oregon took on Arizona State, and Bo Nix, what a stat line. Bo Nix is phenomenal. So in the first half, I, I mean, this is unbelievable. 24 for 29, 400 yards and six touchdowns. In, in Six touchdowns. In one half. In one half. And his passes are beautiful. As someone who watches Kenny Pickett and the Steelers, you have to watch how Bo Nix throws the ball. It's just perfect. Like, he is going to make a great pro quarterback. I, I, the problem is he was the, the, one of the hottest of the hottest kids coming out of high school. He got anywhere he wanted. He chose Auburn because his dad played football at Auburn. His dad was a, was a star quarterback at Auburn, so he goes there. He's under a lot of pressure. Everyone, Everything at Auburn is pressure. 
pressure, this and that. And he just succumbed to it. I've heard these interviews. And then he decided after three years at Auburn to transfer, he went to, uh, it's, you know, went to Oregon. And now these last two years has been just amazing. And this past year, I mean, right now his stats this year is 35 touchdowns, two interceptions, and 3,500 yards. In the last two years, he's 64 touchdowns and nine interceptions. His pass, his percentage of completions is 80%. I mean, it's unbelievable. They blew out Arizona State. Oregon's rolling. And uh, I'm really impressed with Bo Nix. I think right now, if you just on my eye test, Oregon's playing better than anyone else in the country. I kind of agree with you on that one. I'm excited to see where this goes. UCLA, USC faced off, and you were a little worried about the attendance here. <laughs> I just said I couldn't believe that it. it wasn't even a sellout. I couldn't believe that Caleb Williams, who almost threw for 40 yards at a touchdown. But again, here's a here's a team that's now lost five of the last six games. USC was is seven and five. Their season's over. They don't have actually another game this week. Um, terrible, terrible loss to the Crosstown Rivals. It was played at USC, and it was like a bunch again. One of these other games where USC was sloppy with the ball. Caleb Williams threw a bad interception. The scooping scores for UCLA and uh, for a pretty easy win. And just disappointing when UCLA, USC came this season with the defending, you know, with the Heisman Trophy winner from Cal Williams, who was returning for the year, which is rare this ever would happen. They returned for the year, the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. They brought all these big transfers. Everything was this. Lincoln Riley gets paid $10 million a year, and they lose five of the six games. They have no defense. They play terrible, play sloppy. And Cal Williams now, you know, he's still going to be the first player to take it in the draft, but he, you know, does not look like he was just, just a terrible senior year for him. What's uh, coming up next week? Well, the big week, this is, you know, this is an hour near in the end. So this is it in terms of the big games. Um, some, some games I'll just pay attention to. Kentucky at Louisville. Clemson plays South Carolina. Colorado's going to play their final game against Utah. Utah's favored by 22. Miami's at Boston College. I, I want to say Miami plays at Boston College on Friday. Miami's favored by nine. I don't think Miami cares about this game. I really think Boston College. I would take Boston College plus nine. But the big games this week are the seven huge games. Texas Tech at Texas on Friday night. Texas is a 14-point favorite. Texas has to win. They have one loss. Oregon State at Oregon Friday night. Oregon's a 14-point favorite. And then on Saturday, the big, big game is Ohio State at Michigan. Remember, Harbaugh was a five, well, lost five games to Ohio State. He's won now, won the last two. Michigan's favored by three and a half. He's not going to be on the sidelines for the game. This is going to be huge. I'll be at that game. And then at night, you have, or the afternoon, Alabama at Auburn. Bama's favored by 15. And then Washington State at Washington. Washington's favored by 17. And then at night, you have Florida at Florida State and Georgia at Georgia Tech. Georgia's favored by 24. So the point is, is who's going to lose besides Ohio, Ohio State, Michigan? One of them will lose. We could still be, you know, we're still going to be talking next week, championship game weekends, when Washington probably plays Oregon, Georgia plays Alabama, the Ohio State, Michigan winner plays Iowa, Florida State plays Louisville, and Texas plays somebody else. So that's why it's, it's intriguing what's going to happen. I, I actually think Michigan's going to win. I think Oregon wins. And I think Bama and Georgia, I think Bama beats Georgia, Georgia still gets in. So I, my prediction is Michigan, Oregon, Bama, and Georgia will be the four teams in the playoffs. Taking Bama over Georgia? Well, I, you know what? I don't, and I know the Florida State fans, I think Florida State loses. I, they, without Travis, I think they might lose this week or next week. I, I think they've been struggling all year winning some of these close games. And, tech, and, I, and I do want to see four good teams. I don't want to see a situation like two years ago where Cincinnati was in there or even when TCU lost the championship game, they did beat Michigan, so I can't criticize that much. But the point is that I, you know, this is the last of the four-game playoff, and I really want to have like the four best teams play. 726, it's Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. We've got about four minutes or so until we get to Andrew Catalan of CBS. Let's talk a little baseball. It's kind of been slow free agent-wise, and there might be a reason for that, Ira, because running down the top free agents at every position, Mitch Garver, Reese Hoskins, Whit Merrifield, J.P. Crawford, 
this is not a stacked free agent class. Things have been moving slowly. There is some pitching, obviously, Shohei Otani on the table, but Aaron Nola coming back to Philadelphia, and it's not surprising. I'm, I'm happy that it's happened, but he's coming off the worst year of his career. He's been a, a great pitcher for a decade, but uh, now he's going to get seven years, and we'll see if he can get back to his, uh, his form. Seven years, $170 million. I think the surprise was people said he's not coming back to Philadelphia, and then he surprised everyone by, by coming back and then working a deal, and I think, I'm, I think it's great for both. I think it's great for Philadelphia, because Philadelphia's a tough place to pitch in, or, or play in. It, the fans they get 35, 40,000 fans a game. They're booing, they're screaming, they're yelling. It's loud. You gotta be, you gotta have that mindset. Nola clearly has the mindset to pitch in Philly. Why bring someone else in? He's there, pay the money. They're they're a win now team. I mean, they're going for it. So why not? I, I, I always thought it was crazy when people said he wasn't gonna sign, so I'm not surprised. I'm surprised that people were wrong, but I wasn't I think it was a smart move for both parties to sign. Blake Snell is another one who's available, just won the Cy Young. And he's a very interesting pitcher, to, to, to put it lightly. He walks everyone, but he also strikes everyone out. And, you know, nowadays they don't care too much about that. I'm interested to see where he lands because he can definitely help a team, you know, put them over the, over the hump. Correct. Any, any uh, thoughts on this? Like, I, I can't. When you average five walks a game, I can't pay you a lot of money. I just, I know he's, you know, he has 12 Ks, you know, 12, averages 12 Ks per nine. But to me, I don't want it. Otani, we've heard no news on this. I have to imagine that this is a bidding war between the Dodgers, the Giants, the Mets, maybe the Angels as well. I'm not really sure what's going to happen here. Well, Otani did. I think it's one of those things where we're going to hear. Otani made a comment. He goes, "I don't want to hear about this anywhere." So I think it's going to be you wake up one day, you're going to say Otani signed with the Dodgers or someone because he says there's going to be no leaking. He said if you start to leak, I'm not going there. So it'll be intriguing. And he, I think he wants to get this done sooner rather than later. So I think in the next uh, three, two, three weeks, something could happen. Uh, in the next two or three weeks, we probably are going to see something happen with a young man named Yamamoto from Japan. He's They opened up a window. It's kind of like this complicated legal process. But for the next three weeks, he could be bid on. They're saying usual suspects, Yankees, Mets, Cubs, uh, Giants, all in the mix for him. Interested to see where he goes. And this is one of those things where I get worried. Like, Otani fever is making them, you know, want to find the next Japanese gem. And do you want to pay this guy a ton of money? I don't know about Shireki that. Hidabu, Arabu, yeah, it, it, the- Keigawa, <laughs> Hideki Arabu, it's happened so many times. Going over to Formula One, like you said, you you were like kind of thought it was like it, sad how some of this played out. Thursday, we just talked about earlier about what a disaster Thursday was. Um, Friday was a better with the with a, and the race itself was great. I, I watched it on TV. I'll have to say the race was exciting. There was passing, but starting a race at one o'clock in the morning, ending at two. 30 is ridiculous. I mean, they had all the glitz and glamour. Donnie Osmond sang the national anthem. Justin Bieber waved the checker flag. They had the walk where all the celebrities were on before the game, before it. But no one was watching it. Why start it so late? It was ridiculous. It should have started at least earlier than, you know, they started at 10 o'clock Vegas time. So maybe it should have started like, you know, at 6 or 7 o'clock. It should have, still could have been the dark. I did not like the visuals from the race. And I know this sounds weird to say, is that I expected the whole strip to be lit up. But it seemed like the lights were out of the casinos. The sphere is amazing. A new sphere they have is tremendous. But I just wasn't blown away. I watch these races all the time at night when they're in the Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. And th- it's more exciting to watch. Like, I just think, I wasn't so blown away that this was like, I was like, oh, this greatest thing of all time. I don't, I watch this. It wasn't that so great. And I did, and so I was upset about that in terms of the race being great. I mean, but I just didn't think the visuals were that great and they never showed the fans. No one. I didn't see one shot of fans. And, I, and during these night races, they don't normally show the fans as much, but uh, I, maybe there was nobody in the stands and I haven't seen any pictures 
pictures of the stands, but I know that when they have the races in Europe during the day and the Austin, they showed the, a picture of this last week, or the, uh, two weeks ago, the Austin race, fans everywhere, hundreds of thousands of fans. Now they say 300,000 people showed up, but I don't see a picture of the 300,000 people at the race. And uh, so this puts, and people said, oh, this puts pressure on Miami. I don't know what pressure, I thought the Miami, as much as there's a lot of criticism and the fact that they do it at three o'clock in the afternoon, it's super hot, at least it's a fan-friendly event. People could go, nobody could afford these tickets. I, I From an outside perspective, I don't think it was that well. Verstappen won the race, uh, Charles Leclerc finished second, and Sergio Perez finished third. Um, it was a, Verstappen, it was a little tough. He started the race in second position, passed Leclerc, uh, take the lead, they gave him a five-second penalty, came back, took the lead, and uh, over Perez and Leclerc, held on. It was more exciting than normal for Verstappen in terms of a race. Uh, we do have uh, Andrew Catalan ready to go. We'll cut back to uh, tennis, hop right in with him. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, you're having a great season so far. Mike here, I'll turn you over to Ira in a second, but me and Ira play a game um, going back and forth on Sundays. Where, where's Catalan? You know, and we <laughs> first one to find you, you know, watching Red Zone Channel. Yeah, NFC West matchup yesterday, if, if I'm correct. This is something, you know, you, normally you're, you're with an AFC team. Can, you, can I explain how this, this turned out? You know, guys, good to be with you, and happy Thanksgiving. It's been a wild year for our crew, and, you know, the rules are a lot more relaxed now. But with NFC on CBS and, you know, AFC on Fox, but I've had a number of NFC-NFC matchups this year. I did Washington-Atlanta. I did New Orleans-Chicago. I did Giants-Washington yesterday, Seattle-Rams. For me, it's... It's a lot of fun because I get to see teams I normally haven't seen in the past. So it's a lot of studying, but it's a lot of fun to be in some different environments and see some new teams and faces. Before I turn you over to Ira, so I'm a Giants fan. Week 8, you got to watch the debacle that was, or watch, you got to do the play-by-play for uh, Jets at Giants. Do you ever have a time, like, me as a fan is watching this game, like, not interested. <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? It's like, where you're, you're three quarters into the game, just like, oh, this is, like, really sloppy stuff. Yeah, more punts than points in that game. I don't think I'll ever forget that game. I mean, it was just, it was so bad, it was good. And for a guy who grew up in New Jersey watching those teams play, it was, it was, it was just surreal uh, to be at the Meadowlands that day. Yeah, not a great game, but there was, it was still close throughout. I mean, it came right down to the final play. So there was a lot for us to talk about, but it wasn't all good, that's for sure. <laughs> Ira, what do you have for Andrew? So, Andrew, this year you have T. Barber and Matt Ryan in the booth, a three-man booth, which is uh, which is a little different, you know, than what you're used to. And I was, I had the sound on yesterday. I had my, uh, you know, YouTube. I had the NFL Sunday ticket to listen to. And I love the interaction that you had. I mean, at several plays you, where Matt said, I want to do this, be more aggressive. And I said, well, what would the running back decide? And I think that was fun to see with the three-man booth with you, Tiki, and Matt. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's unique. You know, a three-man booth is not easy. Uh, there's not a lot of them in the NFL. I did one when I first broke in with Steve Berline and Steve Tasker, so I got a little experience with it. But the key is you really have to have three selfless people, and, and that's, what, that's, my, that's why I think it works for us. There's no one on our crew that has an ego. I mean, Matt is right off the field, his first year broadcasting. I can't say enough good things about him. He's a great guy. He's a great teammate. He shares the ball, which is great. And Tiki's the same way. I mean, Tiki, um, you know, obviously does talk radio in New York City. So he's used to having to share a microphone with a couple of other co-hosts on his show. So I just think that the, 
the experience that we all have and for Matt just kind of seamlessly moving in from off the field. It works. It's a fresh perspective, and uh, we've been having a lot of fun together. How do you decide, like, I mean, I did not hear you guys talk over each other once, which I was in shock. And, and I know that when you were sitting, you're sitting to the right. Those two sat next to each other. How do you control that in terms of who makes the next point? Is it, do, you like, do you look at each other, or do you, how do you use fingers and hand signals, or uh, how do you work that? Yeah, there's hand signals. There's tapping on the shoulder. There's an occasional push. I mean, we've, <laughs> we've got to be able to communicate without really communicating on the air, if you know what I mean. I, I think it's a lot harder for the two of them. I mean, I know that I'm going to call the play. When it's second and <laughs> ten and they're snapping the football, that's my job. It's up to them, like, who's going to take the replay after? Who's going to talk after this play? If it was a really good quarterback play, does Matt get in? If it's a running back, is it Tiki? But you also don't want to fall into patterns where it's like, okay, it's a quarterback, it's Matt, it's a running back, it's Tiki. So I give them a lot of credit. They have, they have good eye contact. They hit each other. They talk to each other. Uh, non-verbally when I'm still finishing the play. So uh, it works. I don't know how it works, but it works. And I don't want to get into the whole sideline commentary, and we're not going to go, go there, but A.J. Ross, who does your sideline, yesterday, boy, she had a lot of challenges because the injuries, I mean, that's the one thing for someone, who, first of all, who enjoys the game, but also for fantasy perspective, Ken Walker gets injured early in the game. But in the fourth quarter, when Geno Smith gets hurt, Drew Locke comes in, throws the interception, and then both of them, you don't know which one was going to go in the game, and she's like trying to report, well, this one is, it was pretty cool to see the side, like what's happening actually in the game, and she gave a great perspective. Yeah, thank you. She's tremendous, and sideline reporters are so valuable because they see things down on the sideline that we can't see in the booth. I mean, I can see, you know, when Gino's like throwing the ball on the sideline, but I can't see him unwrapping his elbow unless the camera's on it. She's right there, and she can report all that to us, whether it's on air or off camera. Um, and, and she does a great job, so we're really lucky to have her. And you had a great game yesterday. Anyone who watched the Seattle at Rams game, you know, the fact that 16-7 to 7 to start the fourth quarter, the, 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 the Seattle was up, and then Drew Locke throws the interception, Rams drive down, score, then they score a field goal, and then the Seattle has a chance to win at the, at the end of the game. I mean, that was definitely super exciting, and you have the whole narrative of Geno Smith and about Stafford, and it was just, just a crazy fun type of game. Yeah, that was a fun one, coming right down to the wire. I thought that was a big loss for Seattle, too, because you look at their upcoming schedule, quick turnaround, they play San Francisco on Thanksgiving night, then at Dallas, then at San Francisco, and then home to Philly. I thought that was one they really needed to have before this really brutal four-game stretch. And we'll see if on a short week, Geno Smith's even able to play on Thanksgiving night against the 49ers. So, as a big loss for Seattle, I give the Rams credit for, for not going away and, and chipping away at that Seattle lead. But uh, I think the Seahawks are going to remember this one maybe later in the season if they come up a game short of the playoffs. You know, you got to give Matthew Stafford credit for on a player who's now doing a couple years of, of removed from winning a Super Bowl. He still hangs in there, still plays hard. Like, it's that intensity. Everyone thinks that the Rams are just going to just pack it in. But Stafford, as we know from Detroit, is just a tough guy. Yeah, he's playing through a lot. Did not play in their last game because of the thumb injury. I think he's, you know, as these quarterbacks get older, there's a lot of different things that nag him, and I'm sure he's dealing with a lot of that right now. He spoke multiple times about how important the bye week was for him, not just for his thumb, but for his entire body. And, you know, this is not the same team that went to the Super Bowl. They're a lot younger. You know, Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator, told us it's a remodel, not a rebuild, but a remodel. <laughs> Uh, they're they're younger. They've they, you know they have they've given away a lot of their draft picks the last few years. That they're finally able to kind of build in the draft a little bit. So 
it's they're in a they're in a different state. They've got the veteran quarterback, but a lot of young guys around them. So it's a unique mix. But they're hanging around at four and six. Yeah, and the week before you did Tennessee at Tampa Bay, and as someone who's a Penn State fan and Will Levis, you got to then spend time and seeing what the Will Levis in terms of you know this week he had a tough week. Last the week before was actually a very good week for him. So talk about in terms of what the Titans see in Will Levis, and 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 where where are they going with that? And and certainly Vrabel, he's the one coach that's really struggling this year. Has had a lot of losses in the last couple of years, but doesn't not seem to be on the hot seat at all. Yeah, you know. I think it's really hard to evaluate Will Levis right now, Ira, because the offensive line is just in shambles there in Nashville. I mean, they, they are a mess. You know, the game that we had in Tampa, you know, I, I couldn't get a fair assessment of Levis because he didn't have any time to throw the football. <laughs> He's just trying to stay alive back there. So I, I think what, you know, we met with them, you know, in Tampa, and I think that they really like the, the ceiling of Levis. I think that they have high hopes for him. Um, and I think it was the right move for that team. I mean, I don't really think. You know, especially now after the loss yesterday at three and seven, that they're going to be making any moves towards the playoffs. Tannehill's in the last year of his deal. I think I think it was a good move to go to Levis, and I like Mike Brable. I, I think he's a great coach. I just think that with all these injuries and, and now a new GM, and, and they're going to start looking to to see what's down the on the horizon with some younger guys. I think Levis will be at the center of that. So this is not looking like their year, but I, I think that they have some nice parts to build around, including Levis. And then the turn to Tampa Bay, um, boy, the NFC South. It's like every team has problems. Every team's either four and five or five and five with between Atlanta, Tampa, and New Orleans. But in terms of Baker, I mean, it's fun. You have Baker, you have Derek Carr, you have a lot of energy and enthusiasm, mistakes. It, it, it's going to come down to those final couple games. I think it's going to be like the 500 team, the team that you know wins at the end. Yeah, I've seen all those teams in the division. I saw Carolina in the preseason, but I had the Saints, Falcons, and Bucks in the regular season. Saw Tampa Bay twice. I mean, week one in Minnesota, that was when Kirk Cousins was there. The Bucks looked great. And then they really cooled off at the beginning of October with that, that losing streak. But I think in that division, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's going to come down to the last week of the season. I always thought the Saints had a bit of a leg up. But now they've got some injuries, and, and I think that it really you could make a case for any of those three teams. So, you know, for Tampa Bay, it's all about the defense. I mean, when you know, Todd Bowles, that's, that's what he does. You guys know that. And, and when they weren't winning games, their defense didn't really play that well. Uh, they played a lot better against Tennessee, and then they had a tough San Fran team yesterday. So they're kind of riding that wave up and down, but so are the Saints and so are the Falcons. So I think, once again, the NFC South is up for grabs. Which do you know what week what game you're doing next week? Is it the Jacksonville game? Yeah, this Sunday we've got the Jaguars and Texans, which I think is one of the best games on the schedule. We're really excited to go down to Houston, and uh, I can't wait to see C.J. Stroud in person. I saw Stroud versus the Steelers a couple of weeks ago in that game when the Steelers thought you know they were walking in you know thinking they're so great and you know the Steelers can't they can play a high school team and probably would score would be ten ten in the fourth quarter but um, yeah I was impressed that with the JJ Watt game you'll, you'll see a lot with the JJ Watt in terms of the appreciation for his career and everything with that but no this is going to be exciting because Jacksonville they've certainly rebounded from their loss to the 49ers and I'm I'm intrigued with Lawrence I know Mike my co-host here is not a big fan of how Lawrence has been playing but Lawrence. <laughs> and Stroud, I think it's going to be a super exciting game. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that these two quarterbacks are going to be, you know, part of the future of the league, whether you like Trevor or not, Mike. I mean, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is a really good quarterback, and I think he's got a great coach in Doug Peterson. It's a great marriage. I mean, I know a lot of people were down on them 
after losing to the 49ers. But I mean, look, Jacksonville's seven and three. Uh, you know, they're they're in a in a great position going forward. And you could have both the Jaguars and Texans make the playoffs. I mean, I don't think that's out of the question here, especially with the injury to Joe Burrow and how the Jets are sliding. And, you know, Denver's hanging in there, but the Raiders are in trouble. The Chargers are down. Bosa's out. So I think you could see both the Jags and the Texans uh, make the playoffs. But whoever wins this game on Sunday is certainly going to take over first place in the division, control their own destiny the rest of the way. And, I think it's a really exciting matchup for the for not only this week and this season, but I think the future of the NFL. Two guys that I think will be around for a long time. Yeah, that game will be a national game. I'm sure in South Florida we'll be able to hear to hear the game because the Dolphins play on Friday against the Jets. So that'll be great that the whole country can hear your you know your team do it. So that'll be exciting. And to turn to the Jets a little bit. I mean, what a year. I was at the game. I was at MetLife, and I missed I, I came. I never come late. I came with a friend, and I came like 10 minutes late to the game and missed Aaron Rodgers getting hurt. And the season has just been now, it's almost like they're just chasing and chasing and chasing uh, for that. Now, you've had them twice this year. So what's the feeling in terms of Robert Sala and how he's trying now that you change with quarterbacks from Zach Wilson to Tim Boyle? Yeah, it's a mess. I mean, it's all anyone really talks about up here in, in the New York area is just what are they doing at quarterback and, and is this ever going to work? And finally they make the change. I mean, look, I, I think they've only scored nine offensive touchdowns in ten games. Uh, you know, it's, it's an absolute mess. And uh, I understand why they tried to ride Zach Wilson to see if he could catch fire and then find it. But clearly that's not happening. And, you know, the, the shame in all this is I think they really do have a legit defense. Uh, I think that Robert Sala's defense is really good. There's some great players on that side of the ball. And uh, it's just unfortunate what happened to them with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I think that if Rodgers had stayed healthy, I'm not saying they'd be, you know, necessarily winning the division because I, I believe in Miami, but I think they'd be right in the mix. And, and this would be a huge game on Friday if Rodgers were playing and, you know, there's a lot of you know big games left for the Jets. They would have had C.J. Stroud in a couple of weeks. I mean, they, you know, obviously the schedule makers thought a lot of putting the Jets on national TV so much as well. So, you know, I think it's really disappointing. We'll see what happens with Tim Boyle, but it's uh, it's not looking good up here for Robert Sala and the Jets. Just a very disappointing season. Now it's you know this year has been crazy. I mean it, it, it's something that's happening, but with the, with the injuries now you have Joe Burrow who's out, you have Cousins who's out. Um, certainly you know the Colts, Sue Richardson they lost him, uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean it, it is it's amazing the you know with in terms of the injuries this year. Justin Fields missed a number of games. Stafford of course missed a number of games. Um, the value of the second string quarterback, the value of the quarterback that comes in is going to be so important. It seems like in order for these teams to make the playoffs. I think it's a great point. We said it yesterday on our show, too, because, you know, Carson Wentz was signed off the street by the Rams to back up Matthew Stafford, which at the time I was very surprised by. It's not like I don't, I don't think the Rams – I mean, the Rams still have a, a, a wild card shot, but they have an uphill battle. And it's like, why do they bring in Wentz? Well, I think that's the reason why. I mean, you, you know, they, they played Brett Rippon in Lambeau two weeks ago, and they scored three points, and they <laughs> cut him after the game. I mean, it, these teams see the value in the, in the backup quarterback because, you know, so many teams now just don't have the right guy. Um, you know, Tommy DeVito, you know, when he came in, they didn't let him throw a pass. Uh, <laughs> Tyron Taylor got hurt. Now, to his credit, he played really well 
yesterday in Washington. But, um, you know, the Tyrod Taylors, the Jacoby Brissett's, I mean, these guys have a lot of value because we're seeing that there's not a lot of great quarterbacks around. And if you uh, if you want to make an investment for the future, I think you have to have a, a really a veteran guy that can come in and you can trust. The Jets didn't have that. They paid the price. I don't know how it's going to work out for the Bengals, but we're about to find out. Um, but, it's, you know, I look at the Colts. I mean, they're hanging around because of Gardner Minshew. I mean, he's done a really nice job. He's a, he's a good backup quarterback. They're 5-5 five and five without Richardson. So, you know, I think that more and more, I think that'll be a big thing going forward next year. Teams making sure they have a, a steady presence behind their starting QB. And then the team that everyone thought was going to have injuries to their quarterback, I mean, I think they should all send him to do jujitsu, whatever Tua was doing, because he's learned how to fall, and he stayed. he's the quarterback that stayed healthy. And no, I know you have not covered the Dolphins, but I'm sure you've watched a little bit. But you must be impressed by the fact that the fact that Tua is staying healthy and the fact that Hill's having this monster year, and they have all the excitement, and they're getting the running game going, and the improvement to their defense, which is actually what won the game against the Las Vegas yesterday. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey played a great game. I love watching them play offense. It's a lot of fun. You just you don't know what's coming. Uh, <laughs> now, look, I think a lot of people will say, I want to see him, you know, in a big spot, beat a big team. Uh, I get that. But at the same time, they're 7-3. and three. Uh, The Bills are leaking a little bit of oil here. So I think Miami has a chance to kind of pull away a little bit in the division. And I would not want to play them in the playoffs. I mean, I think they're capable of scoring 40 points every time they take the field. Did not like the injury news about Achan yesterday. That looks like that could be something they have to monitor throughout the rest of the year. But as you point out, they've got other guys who can step up if he's not able to stay on the field. So, you know, I understand that, they, you know, they had a couple tough losses this year that people will look at, but I still think that they're a very dangerous team come January. And then you just mentioned Buffalo for a second. It's weird. I mean, everyone criticizes Josh Allen. They're so mad at Josh Allen. But I think almost every team would take, like if the Steelers, if you don't, like on my mind I'm saying, if you don't like Josh Allen, the Steelers, please, I'll drive up and drive him down to Pittsburgh, right down to I-79. We'll take him, come down. Like, like if you don't want him, like that's, that's my opinion of Allen in terms of I, I would just prefer, I mean, you know, you know you always have a chance when he's in the game. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm a huge fan of Josh, and I don't think this is about Josh. Yeah, he's thrown some interceptions this year. He's got to be a little more careful with the football. But to me, you look at this Buffalo team, and it's the injuries on defense. Uh, They lost Saquon Jones. They lost Matt Milano. They lost Tredavious White. Those are three key, key parts of their defense, and they're not coming back at all. So maybe Daquan Jones will come back, but of the three, he's probably third on that list. So I think that that they just took a big hit with the injuries. You throw in some turnovers, you fire the offensive coordinator. It just hasn't been a good year so far, but I still wouldn't count them out. I don't know if they're going to catch Miami in the division. I know they're only a game behind now, game and a half, but uh, you know, maybe they can still get in the wild card, and I don't think a lot of teams would want to play them because of Josh Allen, but it's not the the dangerous team that I thought the Bills would be at the start of the year, and I think a big reason why is the injuries. And then the one final question, Andrew, and I appreciate you coming out. I know you're a little under the weather, so hopefully you'll come down to the Dolphins, Miami. You feel better, the weather will be nice and, and warm <laughs> here. But the Philadelphia-Kansas City game tonight, uh, I just can't wait. Not wait. When we finish the show, I'm going to rush home to watch it. What's your feelings of the game and, and everything? You have all these, you know, the Kelsey brothers, the back of the Super Bowl, so many storylines, pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I think it's a good one. You know, 
selfishly, I miss so many games because I'm working on Sundays. So I'm excited to get to watch this one tonight. I think the Eagles got a good chance in this one. I think Philly's going to come in there with something to prove, a point to prove, a little payback maybe from the Super Bowl. And, you know, obviously playing at Arrowhead is not easy. And I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, you know, you could certainly make a case that these two teams would meet in the Super Bowl again this year. I mean, why not? Um, so I'm excited to watch, and uh, you certainly got the backdrop of the brothers going head-to-head, and it should be a lot of fun tonight. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. I know you, I said you were a little under the weather. Um, appreciate it. Your insight is amazing, So, and best of luck. I would maybe get you on maybe at the end of the season one more time. I'd love to, but uh, thanks again for coming on Iron Sports. That sounds good, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Love when Andrew Catalan pops by here on Iron Sports. at 7.50. I'm Mike Balsamo. This is the True Oldies channel. Ira, let's talk a little NFL here. And it, it's like a war of attrition as the season goes on. But, you know, we kind of talked to Andrew about it. I don't think it's ever been this bad, especially at the quarterback position. Where do we stand? Like, just having bodies there is, is a huge advantage right now. Right. I mean, I think that's what I mean, that's why I asked that question to him is that fact that when you see Joe Burrow go down and that, and it's not just go down we're going to be back in a couple, it's out for the year. Aaron Rodgers out for the year. Um, I think these are Kirk Cousins out for the year. That situation makes it, it's just where now you have these backup quarterbacks that come in and how they play. And, uh, you know, you see Cooper Rush, the backup for the Cowboys. You're wondering whether some of these other backups that might you know, these teams don't want to. You're going to see backup quarterbacks be making. I mean, Mr. Trubisky makes, I think, five, six, seven million for the Steelers. I think you're going to see backups be making a lot more money in the value of them on the tractor squad because you just can't have a situation where your season goes away without the quarterback. Yeah, and it's, I mean, yeah, we're seeing, like we talked about with the Giants, two quarterbacks, you know, are, you know, are unable to play. And you have a guy who nobody knew who he was th- three months ago uh, starting for your team. You, you brought up Joe Burrow, and that game uh, from Thursday night, really rough with Baltimore also losing, uh, you know, our tight end, Mark Andrews, for the Mark year. Mark Andrews, Burrow. I mean, it was one of those games you're excited. When Burrow got hurt, the game's over. Like, it was yeah. like Jake Browning comes in from Washington. You know, as we're talking about Michael Penix, the Washington quarterback, remember Jake Browning. Is a, he's a very good Washington quarterback. But the fact is, brought into the game. And uh, my takeaway was, boy, the Ravens at 8-3, and three, looking great, as always. And uh, Odell Beckham Jr., that, it looked tremendous. He had four catches for 116 yards. You hate to see from a Ravens fan that Andrews gets hurt. That's the, the safety valve. That's everything for Lamar Jackson. But they got Keaton uh, Mitchell, the running back, who's really playing well now, the rookie, the undrafted rookie. But it's a win where the Ravens now, you know, they're, they're trying to distance themselves in the division now. And it looks like the Bengals are really good. Without Burrow, it's hard to imagine they're going to make the playoffs or even they uh, at all. I'm not a huge um, Odell Beckham fan. But, yeah, when he gets the ball in space, that is a very difficult man to bring down. He had said some impressive plays. Did you know that— uh, the tackle for Cincinnati, Jonah Williams, uh, star tackle, actually played high school ball with Jake Browning. So oh. <laughs> they've got a little bit of a, a tie in there together. Uh, Miami took on Las Vegas. This was one, as you said, Ira, you know, we're used to the Dolphins scoring 35, 40 points a week. This is a defensive one game. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Miami, I played the Miami defense in my fantasy, and they looked like they had a scoop and score to start the, the game. And I'm like, oh, excited because you get extra points with that. But then they overturned that, and then Tua fumbles the ball the next play. 14-13 um, at the end of the first half, and then the first play the second half, two throws interception, and then the Finns. You know, they, they Saunders missed a field goal. He's his record on the. I think he's four and fourteen in, in field goals over fifty yards. Now he made one, but that was. But it was like one of those things where they ended the game with like three punts, and uh, but they got two interceptions on defense. The the offense just sputtered at the end for the Falcons. They just could not get anything going. I mean, I'm watching the Steeler game, and I'm like, wait a second, which is you know at the same time you're watching both games, and it was like wow, it was scary. But the fact is that Ramsey came in and. 
play is now playing so great. And it's finally Vince Fangio. We talked about their defense. The, if the Dolphins' defense can match the Dolphins' offense, I mean, that's a team that goes to the Super Bowl. So Let's uh, talk a little Jacksonville and Tennessee here. And this is a game Jacksonville blew him out. But you're looking at the stats after the game, and I'm like, wait a minute, Will Levis only threw 17 times? He was 13 for 17. He's playing pretty good. Why do you only throw 17 times if they're trailing so bad? Derrick Henry only had 10 ru- rushes. Like, all the time of possession was going to the Jags, and as a result, the score looks like it. Yeah, it was a crazy game, and it's a win. It's a, as I said, a bounce back win. Getting ready, we talked about for the Houston game, but you know, considering what San Francisco did to Jacksonville, but Jacksonville sort of a, they seem to have a little bit of Cowboys, where like they when they play the good teams, they're going to get blown out and lose, and then they they'll beat up on the people they can beat up on. But it was a win that they had to have, and and you just wanted to see with Lawrence with two hundred yards, two touchdowns. Calvin Ridley had one of his best receiving days as a, as a Jaguar, seven catches, one hundred one hundred and three. Yards, but uh, no big win for Jacksonville. Your Pittsburgh Steelers took on Cleveland, and I, every time I see you, there's something about Kenny Pickett. You're not happy. Well, it's Dor- Dorian Thompson Robinson started because Deshaun Watson, of course, he's another player who's out for the year. I did not mention him against Kenny Pickett, and this was a mess. I was at this game last year in Cleveland. Jacoby Brissett played. It was the last game before Deshaun Watson was out from his suspension, and Brissett won. Cleveland beat Pittsburgh in Brissett, and you would wonder if Brissett, who's like I think the perfect quarterback for that offense, where he runs the ball, controls it, like. And uh, but in this game, it's like someone called. Two of my friends were flying during the game and said, "What happened in the game?" I go, "The same thing that always happens in the game. The Steelers, the fir- this game, the first play of the game, Pickett got caught for a safety on the first play, but they didn't challenge it, and the, the refs made a mistake. But the Steelers do nothing the entire first half. It's ten nothing. It's normally, and the other team, Cleveland, should have been up twenty-one nothing, but they make mistakes. David Njoku just. I think the Steelers are expert at having the other team drop the ball. I've never seen a team play this. Anybody drop the ball when the Steelers play these teams? He dropped it least six or seven balls. But then they start the second half, and what happens? Uh, Jalen Warren runs for 75 yards. Amazing runs. Now it's 10-7. The Steelers are in the game. The Browns are making mistakes, turning, you know, throwing the ball, dropping the balls. They tie it up 10-10. But then the Browns were able to close this out. They actually had a game-winning drive where they kicked the field goal to win the game. And it's like, is that amazing? No, the Steelers were 6-0 and in these crazy games. But so the Browns were like 4-0 and 3-0. and You know, points were decided by three. So it was one of those things where Pickett was just just horrendous. This might be one of his worst games. He was 15 for 28 uh, passing and just for like 100, 106 yards. Uh, Pickens had four catches for 30 yards. DeAndre Johnson, two catches for 60 yards. And Najee Harris after the It seems like after the Steelers play, one of the players is like, this is the worst thing. And I'm depressed. <laughs> yeah, Najee Harris doesn't seem like the guy to do yeah, it. George Pickett. Yeah, Najee Harris is like, you know, great, you know, enthusiastic. He's complaining. Everyone's complaining. What a mess. I mean, the fact that they're 6-4 and four and they were outgained 259 to 240. So the Steelers are 10 and 0 for having the least amount of yards in a game. This is like unheard of. I mean, they're setting all records. The fact that they're six and four. I think the best record was like to one. Some team won like two games that they have for 10 games. They've now been outgained every single game. Jets took on Buffalo. This is a rematch from Week One where the Jets shockingly beat Buffalo I without. Was that game. Yeah, That's you were the there without I... Aaron Rodgers. Crazy, but. Uh, this was the Jets that we come to anticipate offensively, and Zach Wilson's out of a job. The decision to bring Joe Brady in as offense coordinator, and I'm someone who's a big Joe Brady fan. He was at Penn State, and there was a lot of talk for him maybe coming to Penn State, which they desperately would need that. But he was uh, the offense coordinator for the LSU when Joe Burrow had that amazing year of the LSU offensive team with Jefferson and Chase and Burrow. And then he went to Carolina, struggled at Carolina, and he was the backup off, you know, like the assistant offensive coordinator. They fired Dorsey, they bring him in. But what is Josh Allen doing in this game? He was under 
center. It looks like normal, like everything changed. It's amazing that they were able to put this in. And Dorsey is highly regarded in, throughout the league as an offense coordinator. But to bring, remember, Dable was was there, went to the Giants, was the offense coordinator. Then it was Dorsey. Now Brady is going to be, and I think he called a great. And watching the game, it's like Josh Allen finally felt really comfortable. Now Stephon Diggs did not get the ball much, so he's probably going to speak complaining because they had four catches. But a, but a big, but I just the key was not that they beat the Jets. It's just how Josh Allen looked and how Joe Brady called the game. We've only got about two minutes left here, Ira, but uh, 49ers taking on Tampa Bay. Nice win for the 49ers, 27-14, and maybe Brock Purdy, long-shot MVP candidate? I like Brock Purdy a lot. 21 for 25, 333 yards, three touchdowns. Look, when they're going, they're going. I think San Francisco is phenomenal. They lost their safety to Alana Halanga with ACL tear, which is bad, but Ayuk, Kittle, McCafferty, Debo Samuel, they have all the weapons offensively. They're tremendous, and uh, I, you know, forget about the three losses they had now. They broke, they've blown out Jacksonville one week. They 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 blow out Tampa. They you know running throughout Florida, even though this was in San Francisco. But uh, another big win for San Francisco. You mentioned it earlier. Dallas, when they play lesser opponents, do tend to beat up on them with the exe- with the uh, uh, exemption of Arizona. But a nice win for the Cowboys. They, you know, it was a closer game. I was like following it. It was closer. They ended up winning thirty three to ten. So they won by twenty three. Bryce Young just seven sacks. I mean, this is terrible. They have no offensive line there. And interesting stat is Darren Bland for the Cowboys who replaced uh, Trayvon Diggs in the secondary. He had now his fourth pick six of the game where he scored a touchdown. His four, he has four touchdowns. You know, he's, he's second in the team in touchdowns and he mm-hmm. plays defense, which is like a record. <laughs> he's, he's tied an NFL record, which is crazy. Chicago taking on Detroit and this one uh, ended up being a nail-biter. Wow, what a game. Chicago looked like they were up 26-14 with four minutes to go and Detroit, the fans were booing Detroit. Detroit is 8-2. and two. The last time they were 8-2 and two was, 19, was, gonna be, was 1962 and the fans are booing this team like crazy and Jared Goff leads them back to two touchdowns. The Bears are absolutely pathetic for blowing this entire game. But the Lions, if you listen to Matt Campbell, he's all excited. Dan Campbell, he's all excited about how, you know, the locker room, all the enthusiasm. I, You and I are both in agreement. I think Detroit is just okay. They're not in the level of Dallas. They're not in the level of San Francisco or Philadelphia, but they're a nice story yeah, building on Their for defense them. is a lot better than I thought they were going to be. I thought they were just going to, you know, get, get not be able to stop anybody, but they've been a little better than I thought. You know, you talked about like Pickett and guys like this who the, the playbook is like so, so small for them. CJ Stroud, they let him air it out. And as a result, he did throw three picks against uh, Arizona, but still a nice stat line. Yeah, I mean, three. He's had like three straight games of 300 yards. He had three interceptions. So I'm not going to make him that he's the MVP. Kyler Murray looks healthy, which is surprising. Like he came back with the ACL tear. But it was a win where I, where just, you know, they again hit the ball at the end of the game. It's through like three interceptions right at the end of the game for Houston. But now this sets up the big game between Houston and Jacksonville next week. How does Chargers coach Brandon Staley still have a job? I thought today was going to be the day where they, they dropped a hammer on him. Another bad loss. This one to the Packers, 23-20. Terrible. And he was interviewed. He was yelling at the reporters, yelling at everything. I mean, it was just with Justin Herbert. I mean, you talk about he, Mac Brown, Lincoln Riley, and Brandon Staley, all with these great quarterbacks and cannot win games. I mean, there's it's just crazy. I, I, but I have Quinton Johnson, my fantasy team, Herbert threw a ball to him, 23-20. He was so wide open, and it was going to be like this 70-yard touchdown pass to win the game. And Johnson just dropped the ball. I mean, it was one of the worst. He could have, he tried to juggle it like five times, and he <laughs> catches it. I win fantasy, and also they win the game. Minnesota took on Denver. Denver may have gotten the win here in a very close uh, Sunday night football game, but Josh Dobbs is becoming like a folklore legend. <laughs> Josh Dobbs is fantastic, and you know the fact is he would, should have been at the Steelers. So the Steelers, he was on the Steelers for three years, and I don't know what they didn't see in him, but clearly he was making play after play after play. This was a great game. Russell Wilson, that's one question I didn't ask Catalan, but Russell Wilson and Sean Payton are actually sort of getting along and they're winning now. They're 5-5. Five and five. Pretty amazing that Russell Wilson now, and he led that touchdown drive at the end, letting Russ be Russ, as they say. Philly and KC tonight, Ira, who you got? 
I look, Philadelphia's a better team. Philadelphia's a much better team offensively, defensively. They're the better team. I just cannot pick against Patrick Mahomes in Philadelphia, in, in Kansas City. Um, Andy Reid is 21-3 off a of bye week. How about Andy Reid has never lost in this series? He was 3-0 and as an Eagles coach, and he's 4 when he was playing Kansas City, <laughs> and he's 4-0 and as a Casey coach against the Eagles. Uh, Travis Kelsey is going to beat Jason Kelsey. The Taylor Swift will be in attendance. Uh, it, it's just this is awesome. I love this. I cannot wait to rush home to see this game. I think they should Every Monday night should be a big game like this, and I'm pumped. And I, I think Kansas City wins the game, but I think Philadelphia's a better team. But I just think it's Mahomes. I cannot pick against him. <laughs> All right, what are you up to this week? I know it's a busy uh, one. This should be a busy one. If it works out right, Friday, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ford Field in Detroit. Then after that game is over, I would go to Michigan, Ohio State, which is they play, you know, Ann Arbor's only a few minutes away, and then drive down four hours on Sunday to Steelers, Bengals. So, guys, three football games in three days. Thanks so much to Andrew Catalan for stopping by. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next. Monday night, Iron Sports.